You're listening to Why We Do What We Do. Hello and welcome to our podcast, Why We Do What We Do. I will be your host, Abraham. And I am Shane. And so today we are picking up where we left off on a discussion about why people do stupid things, kind of. Yeah, like, or why people do things we think are stupid. There you go. That's that's a nice that's way a of co- putting it. <laughs> I, that's a very long-winded way of calling calling it what it is, I guess. I don't know. I feel like it's kind of more PC in a way. But yeah. anyway, the point being, I'll re- reiterate from last time in case you missed it, that essentially this was kind of a perspective-taking exercise and thinking about when we see people around us do things that seem... Like it begs the question, why? Why would you ever do that? And especially, we're often thinking about this in relation to, from where I'm standing, why are you doing that? Because I don't want you to be doing that thing, or I wouldn't do that thing if I were were there. And you actually might do that thing if you were in that person's position. And so it's trying to just break down, let's just take a few things that people do that seem like, why does that person do that thing? And think about, and again, so if you didn't hear the last part, we're armchairing the crap out of this. But we want to think about just some reasons that people might do these things. And it's and there's going to be reasons that we don't list. It's really just coming up with, let's think about what's going on for these people and why they might be doing these things and how that helps us understand better what's going on when it looks like people are just being crazy. Yeah. So like Abraham said, this is an exercise in perspective taking, um, like this, kind of with the framework of like functional contextualism. Like, you know, people do things and they do things in a certain context and they do it because it works for them. So we're going to kind of take some time to look at what might work for them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so last time we covered some things, a lot about driving, unfortunately, but like why people (laughs) park in really weird ways or or cross the road without looking. Uh, We also talked about when people don't recycle or when they are uh, going back to driving, when they slow down to look at accidents. When people ask questions, they don't listen to the answer to, don't wash their hands after going to the bathroom, why people believe in conspiracies. And I think we ended on why people will wait indefinitely in parking lots, again, driving, for someone to like load their car and then leave to get that parking spot. And so that's where we're going to pick up now. Well, we're not on that question specifically, but we're going to pick up where we left off. And that was, I think, the last one we answered last time. Good news for listeners. If you are not fans of examples of cars, this uh, <laughs> this episode does not have any. Perfect. Great. So <laughs> <laughs> moving away from all things traffic related, I hope. <laughs> Ideally. <laughs> okay. So our first question we want to ask then is why do people procrastinate? And boy, am I a good example of, <laughs> of this. Oh, yeah. So, you know, it's interesting. I wonder if that's just like common in like punk and hardcore metal scenes. <laughs> like, I feel like, I feel like it's just like, you're like, yeah, we'll get to it. It's fine. Like, it's whatever. Because I noticed that most of the people, I mean, this is purely anecdotal, but almost everybody that I've met in that is like, yeah, we'll get to it. And they're just kind of like, like a yeah. bunch of musicians. An artist, they're like, nah, that's fine. So people procrastinate because it is a symptom of being a musician. (laughs) Specifically (laughs) one who plays like punk or hardcore. Yeah, yeah, that's not even, I mean, that is, there is no science in that at all. (laughs) That is not, that's probably not even really correlational even. (laughs) Probably you're, yeah, we're just making that up. So don't take that as scientific fact, everybody, but. I mean, I think the one of the ba- most basic answers you can give to the question of why do people procrastinate is because it's easy, right? Like it's <laughs> it's not working. So yeah, even if it's putting things off until the last minute, so you have to do them anyway. In the moment, the choice to procrastinate is a choice of doing the easy thing. So that's one. I mean, one way to think about it. Yeah, I mean, another way too is just it, like I always kind of look at it like it's worked, right? Like that's the, that's been the thing. That's been my personal experience with it is it's worked. Yes. You know, I have an app on my phone for my social media called time hop. If you're not familiar with that. It's interesting. Not at all. Like today showed up, said, I asked a question on Facebook somewhere. Um, am I a doctor yet? And that was nine years ago. <laughs> and today I could say yes. Yeah. <laughs> which is kind of funny. It's interesting. Cause I kind of see like my journey through my studies, like through my grad school. Yeah. And one thing that I did, one of the things I remember seeing is like, oh, I had 30 minutes to write this paper to turn this in which I haven't started yet. So I, there was one time where I wrote a paper in like 30 minutes and then I was like, and then the next day it was like, I got an A on my paper. 
Yeah, I mean, I, th I think to your point, and I think that's one of the most important points we could even make, is that people procrastinate because doing so does not mean that they don't get their stuff done, right? It's still effective. They still are effective human beings. They just operate on very tight deadlines. And, and also another thing is that they don't necessarily do it for everything. I don't like procrastinating. It's just something that I do sometimes. And I don't like being pushed up against a deadline. It's just something that happens that I do sometimes. So I think that it's not necessarily a direct choice a lot of the time, but the fact that people continue to make it work means that they are being effective in their world and it stresses them out and other people out sometimes, but like they do get their stuff done and it's not ideal, but it works, you know? Yeah, for sure. I think there is an element of this that is this sort of immediate satisfaction or relief from the thing that you would otherwise have to do. And you can sort of justify that in your mind of like, I have time to do this thing. I will get it done right now. I just need to relax or prioritize this other thing, or it's not important that I burn the, what little free time I do have doing this activity. That's not even due right now. And so I think you, there's a lot of easy justification for, I will get to this thing. I know I've trust myself. I've gotten these done before. And right now I'm going to do something else. Yeah. I mean, I think about that as far as, you know, as I was becoming an adult grocery shopping, it's like, I don't need the grocery shop today. <laughs> and then there's going to be a point in time where I'm like, I literally have no food in the house. Like I can't just eat ketchup. So I got to go, <laughs> I got to go grocery shopping. I got to do, or like people do this with laundry all the time. It's like, I, I see this a lot. They put off laundry because they hate doing laundry. Then it becomes like this larger stack of laundry, a mountain even. Yeah. And now they're spending two days doing laundry just to catch up. So at the moment, there's little pressure, but then it turns into something more problematic later. Right. I think the other thing too is, you know, you've got, there's, there's little pressure or, or really not a lot of consequence in completing the thing at that moment. Right. Yeah. You know, I think of, especially like going back to grad school, I, I, I'm going to use that example a couple of times is like, you know, you have, there are some classes that you'll take that have weekly deadlines. Mm -hmm. And then there are some that'll have like a larger monthly deadline. So right now I teach a supervision class. And so part of the supervision class is it's a 16 week class. And there are assignments due instead of assignments due every week, there's check-ins every week, but there are, a, you know, documents due every month, but there's really no consequence except for feedback where I say, Hey, you got to turn this in. And so I've got to start thinking about that because I've got three or four students that are procrastinating, turning in their monthly forms mm. that I'm like, yeah, you got to get these in. Like we need these things, Yeah, you know, but there's no consequence for it right now. Coming up in the next term, it's going to be like, oh, I'm not scheduling any meetings with you until you get this in. Yeah. It's pretty interesting for some people. It just, there's no, there's no consequence. Well, and I think another important point here is that there can be a consequence that is an adverse consequence for doing things early. And I've experienced this directly when I've done work early and then forgot about it so that it ended up being late anyway. And actually a common example of this is at work is that we have to turn in this one. Essentially it's a report that we do twice a year. And for some reason I always, as soon as I get it, I do it. And then it sits on my desk for like a month and a half or a month or something like that. And then when the deadline approaches, I forgot where it is and I, I forget to turn it in. And so it's like, it ends up being late, even though I was done early. Cause like, I'm not supposed to turn it in early. I'm supposed to turn it in right at the particular window when it's like, this is when this thing is due. And so I always feel dumb because I'm like, I finished this so long ago and it looks like I'm turning it in late and I am effectively turning it in late, but I did it on time. I did it early. And so like for <laughs> me, there's actually a direct acting consequence of I did this thing early and because I did it early, there was an adverse outcome. And so procrastinating actually is more rewarding in that case, because if I had just waited till the last minute, I would have turned it in right away. I've never heard that one. But that is like a cool way to look at it. Like, you know, when I think of that, I would think of like arriving to a, a, a social gathering too early. Yeah, there you go. That's the like the social contingency that I would look at. Right. Like if I show up too early, then now I've got this awkward space where I have to like try to talk to like one person or I don't really know what to do. I don't have any sort of like peer model to follow. Yeah. In that social context. It's one of those things, too, for me. Yeah. Where I'm like, I'm going to show up a little bit late. I, I'm going to be on time. Like for me, a little bit late is on time. There you go. So. That's, but that's a whole different, that's a whole different issue. Another one too is, is, is you know, people might procrastinate just because they get pressure from others. They get people be like, oh, you can turn it in later. It's fine. Why? Like, let's go do this thing instead. Like, let's go. Or there's maybe some other competing contingency, right? Like, you know, I know you have this report that, to do, 
but I need you to do this first. And so they introduce some other contingency in place or some other activity that you have to complete before you get to this thing. And so like just by happenstance, you because of the pressure of other people, you end up pushing off this task that needs to get done. Yeah, and that I think is probably fairly common for a lot of people where they have other a significant other or like really close friends or specific events they frequently attend. And when they have some kind of deadline coming up, and the choices between doing that thing or going to that event or the pressure that they have from those other people around them, it's very easy to see them making the choice to cave into that pressure because no one's specifically, you know, bending their arm back and twisting their, twisting their, what is it? Twisting their arm? That's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I expressions. It's twisted, it's, yeah. It's twisting their arm, pulling their leg. <laughs> to, to get whatever thing done. So, all right. Well, that was a lot of time on that one. Let's move on to the next one that we have, which is. Why do people adopt exotic animals? And now I think an important one on here is clarifying why I think someone might look at this and think that that's a stupid thing to do. Primarily because one, there's not a clear reason to do this. And two, it's usually extremely expensive. And so I think for those reasons, this looks like a stupid thing to do, but there might still be reasons that someone does this. Incidentally, I'm not actually advocating that anyone do this. I don't think, I think this is, there are other ethical issues aside from being considering this as being stupid, but as far as why someone might do this. And the first thing that I was thinking of is it gives them something unique to talk about. Like this, this is a, like, listen to this cool story I have about how I got this giant bat from Australia that's now living in my guest bedroom. Thinking of bats from Australia, I would imagine <laughs> that they're probably so scary because I feel like, you know, people describe Florida as the Australia of the United States. <laughs> Because everything here is trying to kill you. But I feel like Australia is like that. Like everywhere you go, there's like, oh, see, if you see that spider, it looks like you can pet it, but it's going to try to murder you. It's it's a it's a serial killer spider. <laughs> but yeah, it just it's always interesting, like giving them a story. I think that's a really a really great point. Like that's there's some novelty to that. Right. Like like, you know, oh, like you raised horses and raced them at the Kentucky Derby. That's really cool. I have a lion. Would you like to see the lion? <laughs> exactly. There's this really interesting guy on Instagram right now that like, I guess he works on a preserve Oh, cool! and he does like work with lions and hyenas, Yeah. but his videos are him like rolling around and playing with lions and hyenas. So he makes it look really cool and the story does look cool. And it goes back to the next point, which is like, it looks, it's very unique. It's a very unique experience. Yeah. But he talks about how dangerous it is. Sure. Like he got clawed in the face. Like he got this really gnarly scar on his face, like near his eye. He's like, you have to remember these are wild animals. Yeah. Do not do this. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's a dangerous game to play. And so to that end, people will also go to certain ends to make it less dangerous by chopping off parts of the animals and whatnot, but off topic specifically <laughs> with the point of adopting exotic animals. I'm going to, I'm going to go on a tangent here. That sounds like I'm going off topic, but I'm not, I grew up in a, Sort of grew up. I've, I moved around a lot when I was younger, but for part of my youth, I grew up in an area that was fairly rural. And in that rural area, there were a lot of people who had very low income. And so they lived in these like trailers that weren't, they weren't houses, you know, they were trailers mm -hmm. and they were fairly small and they were fairly austere, didn't have a lot of amenities, didn't look very nice, looked pretty much like every other trailer that was around, didn't have a lot of land. And then they would drive these fairly expensive or at least expensive looking cars. And even though they didn't have a lot of money, they liked being seen driving around in these nice looking cars. They'd take really good care of them. They'd wash them a lot. They would like buff them and make them look all shiny and new and everything. And I always thought that that was very strange to me. I was like, I would much rather live in a very nice house than drive a very nice car personally. Yeah. That's just me. But the, where I'm going with this is that there are, I think, people who they will go out of their way to acquire one of these exotic animals. And the reason might be for some of them that it gives them status or it is an indicator of their wealth, even if they don't have any. Right. This is the they went out yeah. of their way to acquire something that they can show off to make it look like they have status and wealth and that they're important and they can have and afford these nice things. and. So I think that there is some symbolism in a way and the value that seems to be presented by owning this rare exotic animal. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. You look at people like, didn't Mike Tyson own a tiger? 
I mean, he did in the movie The Hangover. So if that movie yeah. is factually accurate, then yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which I, I take that as a as a one hundred percent accurate portrayal of all those people. That's a good place for us to to get our information is from yeah the hangover <laughs> yeah yeah you yeah, know it makes sense no but i mean I, you're you're right like you'll have somebody that talks about like these exotic fish that they have in their tanks and they get this sp- specific shark and, Great and so example. it's like oh it's a really cool way i mean I, I shouldn't say really cool but it's for some people it's a very cool way to show off that they can kind of access something that the the you know i guess the the plebes I don't know how he, anybody who's like middle class or lower, like, you know, in that, in that realm, like people who aren't, who don't have that status, it's a cool way to show off like, Hey, I can access this and you can't. And I think going back to your point as well about the fact that there are some times that these exotic animals actually don't cost very much. And you, you really made me remember that with the, the example of the fish. And I think people will also acquire some insects and that part of the reason that they might do this is because like nobody else I know has the hissing cockroach. Nobody else I know has this bizarre Christmas crab. Right. So that makes me have a unique thing that I can cling to as part of my identity is I am this person here now, but I also have this uh, giant praying mantis. Yeah. Which goes to another point. It's like they access something unique or alien or cool or, or they just like the way that it looks. Right. So you've got these two things where it's like, you know, I have this thing that nobody else has. I like the way this looks. I think this is neat. This is something I can handle this, this reptile or whatever, whatever it is, or this local animal that nobody can access. Like, I'm sure I can almost guarantee that somebody in Florida has a bobcat for a pet. And an alligator. And an al- Oh, that's, that's everywhere for sure. <laughs> I, I mean, you like, there are so many alligators that if there's a lake, you're like, oh, that's Pete. You know, <laughs> like you just kind of do that. I mean, I don't. I don't go handle that alligator, but there it's, it's actually, from what I understand, pretty easy to handle an alligator, which is, I mean, don't do it, but I hear that it's pretty easy. I really like looking at alligators. And when I lived in Florida, I tried my best to keep my distance mm-hmm. because to them, I just look like a snack. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, you look like a snack anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> so... You know, and I think that one of the other things, too, when, they, when you talk about people adopting exotic pets is they don't really see, like, zookeeping or gatekeeping the freedom of another species as inappropriate. Like, so, so like, keeping an animal in captivity, people don't really see that as, like, you know, a problematic thing. Right. Yeah, I mean, it, and that goes back to the point of sort of what, why would I even put this on the list of things that people do that you might think are stupid? And the reason, one of the reasons might be that you think why would you do something that's completely inappropriate to do, like keep an exotic animal that belongs in the wild? And if you think about the fact that for that person, they've never contacted that value or that idea that you're not supposed to just take pluck animals out of the wild and put them in your terrarium in your office or something. Yeah. It's not good for them. Like just look at Shamu's fin. It's not great. And so anyway, to the point that, the one reason they might do that is not because they're stupid, but because they don't have that orientation to that as a value. Yeah, exactly. So I think that covers that one pretty well. Yeah, we can move on. So the next one that we want to talk about, and this is again, one of those ones, it's like, it may not be stupid, but it may be something that we kind of identify as like possibly problematic with the more information you have. Right. right? So why do people eat junk food? Yeah. And I, I really like that you pointed it out that this is not something we're not actually making the case that any of these, these things are stupid, really. It's just someone might look at this and think, why are you doing this? This is like such a problem. And this is seems like such a terrible idea. And maybe even someone who has a pre-existing health condition, you're doing something like eating junk food. What are you doing? This one, I think most people already know the answer to, because I think most people under certain conditions do eat junk food. And the obvious answer there is it tastes good. Right. That's what that's a yeah. very good and simple reason of why people would choose to eat junk food. Yeah. Candy rules. <laughs> I'm particularly fond of Skittles. Skittles. Yeah. I see. I'm a I'm a chocolate junkie. Oh, so I like, love uh, chocolate. I will eat like I found the other day. Ninety five percent dark chocolate. And I was oh my God, so happy. That's be so bitter. It was great. It was better. <laughs> I love bitter, though. So that's uh, that's a problem. So there you go. Yeah. So, I mean, it tastes good and it's usually cheap, right? So that's another piece too. Like you can go, like, I mean, you could go to a fast food restaurant and grab a full meal for less than five bucks. Yeah. Now, and on that, and I think very similar, and this is one that is like 
the main thing for me is one of the reasons I've ever chosen to eat junk food is because of how conveniently packaged it is. That's like if I'm on the go or I'm somewhere where I don't have utensils, I don't have a plate, I can't make a mess. There are all these junk foods are designed to be consumed by hand in a one-time disposable container. So all you need is your mouth. Yeah. And if you have that with you, then you can consume this food and it tastes good. It's cheap. It's easy. It like hit every single one of those items off the list. So it's like, yeah, it makes sense that you choose to eat junk food if you don't have any of those utensils and you're like in a hurry because that's the most convenient thing for you to eat. Right. And and speaking of convenience, you know, I used to, when we used to tour in bands, like it was way easier for us to stop and grab a bite from somewhere than it was for us to pack food and store it in the van. Like that was very difficult to do. Yeah, absolutely. There was no space. I mean, we had our amps, we had all of our merchandise and we have all had all of our like bed rolls and dirty laundry. Like we didn't have space for a cooler full of peanut butter sandwiches. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so you're going to get a couple snacks and maybe some like fast food here and there. And it's just going to be whatever is the easiest thing to do touring bands have the worst diets yes the the couple of times that i toured i recall eating an enormous amount of like raw ramen noodles yeah and what are those things they're like they weren't chickpeas but it's some it was some sort of like puffed corn snack of something i don't like know like pirate's was. booty it wasn't pirate's booty but it was um what are they called they're they were like little pieces of corn that are sort of like Corn nuts. Yeah, corn nuts. Those are the ones. Thank you. So you eat a bunch of junk and you're and part of that too is like I I because I when I think about eating junk food, I think about being on tour because you're just in the van, you're just going and going and going, and you don't really have time to stop. So you'll get hungry and you'll be driving for 13 hours. And so right. what ends up happening is like you get this immediate relief, right? Like if I have a snack, I have something that's in my face that I can have just pop a handful of corn nuts in my mouth, then I have this immediate relief of hunger. And so that's a big part of it. Even if you're home and you have access to like food in your kitchen, if you're really hungry and you have like that bag of whatever candy or junk food is just sitting out, it's like, I could sit here and make this meal or I could just grab that snack right now and then I'm going to feel better immediately. And so it's the choice of, do I prolong this feeling of uncomfortableness and hunger or do I immediately satisfy this craving right now? Yeah, exactly. And I think that goes back to like another point too is like, you know, now I immediately satisfy this craving. And you mentioned earlier, like the packaging is easy and there's like just very little cleanup. I have to, I don't have to do dishes. If I have a bag full of like chips that I can just grab a handful, pop in my mouth, roll up the bag and put it back on the shelf. Yeah. Or throw it in the trash. And that is the American the way. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, if that's if like, you know, you finish the trash, finish the whole bag. Right. Yeah. But even still, you know, food waste, who cares? Yeah. It's <laughs> the 35, what is it? 35%. Something crazy like that? Yeah, I mean, I think at least, yeah, it was it's an enormous percentage. I'm being facetious, yeah. I I don't think that it doesn't matter to waste food. I it is a, obviously a problem. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just want to make sure that that's clear. Yeah, no, for sure. So I mean, I don't know. We eat junk food, like we eat a lot of junk food, and all of us do it. I mean, you can make the same argument. Like junk food is probably the more innocuous version of like maybe why do people do drugs or why do people smoke cigarettes knowing that it's bad like you know i think that's you can kind of like go down a path of that and people yeah. have the information but a lot of it's like there's a lot more to it than just saying like they should know better right yeah good point okay so this next one is particularly relevant for me i think and this this is one that i put on here because it's one where i am on the receiving end of this and this is why people get upset about what other people wear or don't wear. And so this is where people get upset about. I see other people getting upset about other what other people are wearing or not wearing. And to me, I have a hard time understanding where that problem comes from. And so this one was I really wanted to explore this for myself because I see people are like, oh, why are they wearing that? Or oh, they're like exposing too much skin. And I'm just thinking. I think that person has every right to dress the way they want to dress and I don't care. And like, if it bothers me, I'm going to change my eye direction this way a few degrees so that I'm no longer looking directly at it. <laughs> Simple things. Yeah. So that's, that's sort of my orientation to it. But that's why I wanted to explore this is why would someone get upset about something like that? And it seems like getting upset about it is a stupid thing, but I'm, it, you know, again, it's not fair to call it stupid. And so I think what, one of the things that I thought about in trying to understand this is that there are people who have values oriented to specific sort of dress codes and form of attire, especially for certain circumstances. So in a particular event, the tradition or the expectation might be to be wearing something that is formal or has a particular color to it. 
for example, if there's like a wedding, you're wearing colors that are in the wedding, especially if you're part of the wedding mm -hmm. in some capacity. And so in those, those cases there, they have a value about the rules related to the expectations and that if you are in violation of those rules, then it feels like you are threatening and disrespecting those values. My experience with this particular question has been in the professional context. For those of you who can't see us, because this is an audio medium, you know, I am covered in tattoos. Like I have full sleeves and I work in a profession where people dress professionally and they wear, you know, nice shoes and they wear slacks. And I'm, I show up at a conference wearing jeans and a t-shirt. And that is challenging for people. People, I've had people say to me, like, this is, you know, the rule is that this is a professional conference, so you should dress professionally. And my argument is, well, how is this not professional? I wear jeans and t-shirts to go see clients that I work with. So if I'm not doing it there, why would I do it here? So I have that conversation with people sometimes. And that goes back to that issue of values and threatening values, but also it violates some rule or they think it violates some rule of professionalism that maybe doesn't exist or it's pretty arbitrary. Yeah, exactly. I think that there is the, and that, that is related to the one that I mentioned before as well. But yeah, the idea that I think that some people will look at the way that someone dresses and feel that there is a rule about how, about the way that people dress and you are violating that rule. And that upsets me. And so that's the, the, what they're orienting to. And I just don't think that that rule is important. And so for me, that's why I look at that and think, I don't care. I don't, I'm not upset about the fact this person dresses this way because I don't, I don't think that that rule matters. This person over here is like, it's a rule. Therefore it matters. Therefore violating it, violating that rule is important. And as a little bit of a teaser, I am planning an, an upcoming episode about understanding fashion and why we dress the way that we do. And I, I actually found that there is an entire podcast dedicated just to the history of fashion. And I think they even maybe put sort of as the tagline, why we dress, how we dress or something like that. And so um, I'm going to, I'm going to give a listen to it and I'm going to, I'm going to use that as some of the research for it. But, but yeah, essentially I think it would be really interesting to talk about some of these, some of these rules and some of this fashion and what it means because Part of why I orient to those rules as being unimportant is understanding the history of fashion. Yeah. I mean, I think another one, too, that we look at here is that maybe the person that is dressing a certain way just doesn't know what the social rules are. Ooh. I mean, because we have to be mindful of, like, social rules and what they, what like, what like exists and try to be mindful of that to some degree, right? To, yeah. To engage in what we would describe as socially appropriate behavior or pro-social behavior. Such a good point. But the thing is, is I... <sighs> I came from a, a background where I had one pair of nice shoes that I wore for years. Nice. Right? Like, I mean, years, 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 years. And so I never owned a pair of slacks. I never liked wearing button ups, but I didn't really know how to dress it. I never owned a suit. I couldn't afford a suit. So to me, like, I didn't know how to dress like that. I've had to learn how to groom my beard to keep it like looking less crazy sometimes, you know, like, cause when my beard grows out, it grows straight out of my face and I look like a Will Ferrell character, you know, from Saturday Night Live. So, you know, it's, it's one of those things where like, there's sometimes that there's, you're just missing a skill. I don't know how to dress. I've had to like study how people dress to dress more formally in certain situations. So I could, uh, uh, you know, accommodate those rules. Fair. That's a really good point. Actually. I think I didn't even think about that when I was prepping this is that it's often one of the reasons people do, do they do things that seem like they're stupid or in violation of the expectations is because they don't know what those expectations are. They don't know what the rule is. So that's, that's a really good point. Unspoken rules suck. They're so hard to follow. Yeah. Yeah. And I think they're sometimes they're spoken, but not by people in the circles that you run in. And so you just, you wouldn't ever contact it. Yeah. And it's like, it's really common knowledge to other people. And when you just happen to cross paths with that group and all of a sudden they know something you don't, or they have a rule about something you don't know about. And then it seems like you're, this stupid yokel who has never who isn't cultured and doesn't know how the world works but it's really just that unique social situation where that would be the case and it's not because you're stupid you just didn't have that you didn't have the rule you didn't know yeah exactly so another one and this is related to the idea of the rule is that i think that one of the reasons that people often get upset about rules is because they think i'm going out of my way to adopt and follow this rule and this dress code and that person over there is just doing whatever they want and if I have to follow the rules, everyone should have to follow the rules. And I think that that is a way that people often feel about rules, generally speaking. And again, I just oriented these things differently. For me, I think, I feel like I'm blowing my own horn here, but very practically, 
if I have to follow a rule, I follow a rule because it's relevant for me in my situation. And if that person doesn't follow that rule, meh, more power to them. But yeah. for me, it's just like, if I, if this is relevant for me and I understand that it's relevant for me right now, then, then, then I will, you know, stick with it. But it just doesn't bother me if someone else were to just not follow that rule. If they're like, if they're wearing a business suit and then like thong sandals with socks, I'm going to be like, that's an interesting choice, buddy. But like, that doesn't offend me in any way. Yeah. I mean, I've been having a, um, a long winded debate about Crocs with people as of, as of late. Oh yeah. Pro or, or against? I'm against them. <laughs> okay. The more I think about it, it's, it's very arbitrary. It's more of a principle thing than anything else. I don't actually have any sort of beef with Crocs, but I personally will not own a pair of Crocs. I have no value for that type of footwear fair but i go back to kind of what you mentioned is like uh, and i have to kind of subscribe to this is like function over fashion like does it work for me and that's kind of the place that i go it's like you, when when you work with people who like to run out of the house and run into traffic like a good dress shoe with a with a little bit of a lift and a heel isn't really the place to that's not really the type of shoe that you want to have to run somebody down like trace chase them down in yeah totally Another one too, when we talk about like people getting upset over clothes and what people wear is, is that, you know, clothing itself can be seen as like a status symbol or like a a symbol of wealth. Totally. And so, you know, it's really interesting. I was talking to a friend of ours in Miami talking about like, kind of like the nightclub scene and what that looks like. And there are specific social cues that require people to wear a certain type of shoe to these clubs. Yeah. And I thought that was interesting because it's like, so I'm going to wear a really nice fancy shoe that doesn't really have like a lot of cushion or like a lot of like, it's not really good for high impact stuff to a place where I go dance all night. <laughs> like, shouldn't I wear a sneaker? Like, shouldn't that doesn't that doesn't that make sense? Something with a little bit of padding? Like, I don't know, functional functionally, like it makes sense to wear something a little with with a little more cushion for high impact but that was that's part of it it's like oh now you've got this exclusive club you have to wear this type of clothing to get into this exclusive club and now you've got this like secret society type of thing and now you're like dividing people as a result of just what people cover their feet with i completely agree with everything you just said and there is a very interesting paradox i think of it as a paradox that arises that i've noticed where people who will when they acquire a lot of wealth and status will go out of their way to display that wealth and status with things like jewelry, accessories, and very expensive clothing, very expensive wine, for example, things like that. And then what's really interesting is they they go out of their way to do those things to show off their wealth and status, but eventually they'll start to come to resent people who don't have the same display of wealth or status, or at least somewhere in the ballpark of where they're at. And they're like, ooh, that's so gross that you'd like look drink that or dress that way or something like that. And it's it's sort of like you want people to do that. Otherwise you wouldn't be special. Right. And now you're mad at them for doing that, even though they have to do that in order for you to feel special. So I think there, that is something that happens, but you're absolutely correct that this idea of sort of status is very much embedded in dress and dress codes and the way people attire themselves. It's one of those things where I've worked, I've, I've worked very hard to get where I'm at and it doesn't matter. I could be Bill Gates level. I could get there, but I'm going to tell you right now, Mountain Dew is still delicious and I will drink that forever. <laughs> I don't even care. Like, you know, you're going to judge me for drinking Mountain Dew. I don't care. It's delicious. Falls in the category of junk food, I think. So, yeah. Well, junk food and status, right? Like, yeah. Rich people don't drink Mountain Dew. That's what I assume, at least. And, except on Talladega Nights. Yeah. <laughs> if you ain't first, you last. <laughs> All right. So, Shane, why are people late to things? And I don't mean late because, like, some unavoidable, terrible thing happened or just whatever thing happened. But why are people late to things when they definitely could be on time to things? Oh, let me tell you, this is one of the biggest peeves of mine that I've had to learn how to like perspective take around. Interesting. Of people I, being late to like things. Uh, yeah, I don't understand it. I'm like, it drives me nuts. Cause I'm like, cause I'm always like earlier on time. Mm-hmm. So I, it, you know, every now and again, I'm late and I, and I'm like, I feel super guilty about it. Even if I'm like three minutes late, I'm like, I am so sorry. I'm late. The other day I was late to a meeting and I was like a minute late and I was apologizing to my supervisee left and right. I'm like, I'm so sorry. I was late and da, da, da. And they're like, are you okay? You know, it's, it's a thing. I don't know. So that's my own stuff. I've got to sort out. But I think people, and this is something I've noticed is, is part of it is people just don't have the skill to organize their time or manage their time, or they don't have like a sense of time, right? Like they can't like 
pay they don't pay attention they don't check times they just don't really take I understand how long maybe a task takes and so they don't manage their time well and as a result they kind of push back their schedule and other people's schedules just because they're missing a, an important tool in their toolbox this is I think yeah a very important point that being able to manage your time well and like estimate how long something's going to take you and plan is a skill you are not born with this and it is a skill that takes time and feedback and coaching and practice to develop. And so until people develop that skill, they're not going to be very good at it. And I think on that same note is that there are oftentimes insufficient environmental conditions, incentives and motivations and whatnot to have them ever get good at it. And so being late is sometimes rewarded. Being on time is sometimes punished. Or sometimes there's no no relative or relevant consequence at all that late or on time doesn't really seem to matter. And so in those circumstances, you wouldn't expect that skill to develop very much. And so if there's nothing that's going to like help shape that up, it's not going to develop. And I think that's a big part of that. But I think the other part too is like, so when you think about people being late to stuff, I think part of it is that there are maybe intermittent situations where it's important to be on time and then there's like social cues where it's important to not be on time mm. yeah you know for example i think that kind of throws things off a little bit so for example like i know that i'm supposed to be on time to this meeting i need to be here at this time for this meeting because this meeting is going to start but when we meet later for drinks i can be there kind of whenever that time frame is a little bit looser so if it's all kind of like interspersed with one another now you're kind of setting up these weird contingencies or these weird contexts in which Sometimes it's okay to be late and sometimes it's not because sometimes late isn't, is actually a good thing. And again, telling the difference between those things is a skill. So there's that. Yeah. Yeah. You have to be able to discriminate that, right? Now, for me, one of the reasons that I am sometimes late is because I am actually legitimately afraid and not like I experience debilitating fear, but I worry about getting someplace early and then having nothing to do. And I'm just wasting my time doing nothing, waiting for something to happen. I have discovered that I didn't realize this about myself, but with a lot of self-reflection that I'm just not very patient when it comes to waiting. I get like, and it's seconds before I am immediately like, what am I doing here? Why am I spending my time waiting for this thing to happen? The lines at Disneyland <laughs> and Disney World, they cause me so much frustration. I'm looking at that line. I'm standing here thinking in the time that it takes me to get through this line to experience this one minute ride or whatever I'm going to do, I could have done so many things. Some of the lines, I could have actually watched an entire movie from start to finish while waiting in that line. Yeah. And, yeah. and I'm thinking this is such a phenomenal waste of time that I just, I have extremely little patience with it. And so I have that worry about if I'm early to something, I might be sitting there wasting my time waiting for something to happen. And sometimes it doesn't even start on time. And then I'm just thinking, and now I'm even more wasting my time. And that just drives me crazy. And so for me, that is something that legitimately causes me to be late is I'm trying to get as close to the time as possible. So I'm not just waiting around for things. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. I have a hard time like just sitting idle myself. Yeah. So for sure, that, that one I can relate to. I kind of mentioned this before, but people underestimate how long things will take. They will be like, oh, I'll be there in like 15 minutes. And it's actually a 30 minute drive. Yeah. You know, I see that a lot or, or like uh, just the amount of time it takes a task. Like, you know, for me, sometimes it, I can complete a task pretty quickly depending on my motivation and all of that that day. And kind of, you know, if I'm at homeostasis, if I'm at baseline and I'm feeling pretty good, but on days where I'm distracted or not feeling well or you know, I'm not really motivated to do something, then it, it takes me a little bit longer to do that thing. And so, you know, depending on that context, it kind of changes how much time it takes to actually complete something. Yeah. Um, I think there, there's a really funny example of this in the, the U.S. version of the TV show, The Office, when the boss, Michael Scott, is <laughs> he was in charge of setting up a PowerPoint presentation, but he never actually started setting it up on his computer. And so he logs in. It's like <laughs> system updating. This will take 15 minutes. And he says, so this should take five to 10 minutes. <laughs> and <laughs> and, and it's, it's that kind of thing where people will look at these timing lengths and they're like, eh, it'll, you know, it'll only take me five minutes to get there. I'm like, it's like 20 miles away. Like how fast are you planning on going? Yeah. Like logistically that's impossible. Yeah. 
and <laughs> and then like you gotta factor in like it actually does take time for you to get to get from where you are now to your car it takes you time to find parking and then get from your car to the thing you're going to and so like this is why when you're i always plan to be at least i, I give myself 30 minutes to get to a movie even if a theater is like 10 minutes away because i've got to get to my car i've got to find a parking spot get inside get my ticket get my popcorn and like get to my seat and all of that stuff is going to take a lot of time and so estimating time is i think a difficult skill do you always get popcorn at the movies yeah it's that's delicious i have to i've just yeah it's a it's a whole thing it is we could do an episode on that. <laughs> okay so another one that we talk about too is or that we wanted to kind of touch on is why do people refuse to learn new things and this is actually another one too is as somebody who is a scientist yeah and curious about the world i think you know there was a comedian, which I won't mention his name because he doesn't have a really great reputation, but he said a really great thing about just the universe is ever expansive, so you should never be bored. Like you have this infinite universe outside of your skin, and then within your head, you have this infinite amount of possibility that you can think about. So there's never a time where you should be bored. Okay, so this one is also kind of a huge pet peeve to me that I... I have a hard time with. And so the, again, this is sort of an exercise for me to do some better perspective taking is because I feel like I'm constantly trying to learn new things and I just have a real hard time wrapping my head around those people who are like, I don't want to learn something new. I just want to do the thing that I already know. And I always, the thought that immediately happens at this point almost feels like a reflex that I have is like everything that you know that you like now, you had to learn at some point and it was new to you. And there is a universe of things out there that you might like even more than the things you like now if you would stop refusing to learn and just try things out there. Yeah. And so, anyway, that's the thought that I have. But understanding that one of the reasons people might refuse to learn new things is because it is easier to stick with what you know. It's easy. You don't have to do anything. You just do the things that you're already doing that you know how to do. So... It's very, very low effort. And one thing I do appreciate generally is choosing the easier path of doing things. I like the work smarter, not harder type of philosophy. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. And and that goes into the idea that people, the things they like are guaranteed, right? Like if they stick to the routine, they don't add something new. They don't learn something new. It's part of their routine. And so as a result, it's easier because you're familiar with it. You're familiar with this routine. You're familiar with these things that you like. Adding something new is going to disrupt that entire system. And so why would you want to do that? And this actually goes, another another one I was thinking of is this idea of wasting time is thinking, I have no idea how long, I'm how much of my time I'm going to have to invest in this thing for how little payoff I might get out of it. And so to that point, and I didn't think about this when I was originally prepping this, but this person might actually have had the the experiences of learning something new and getting very little payoff for spending all the time it took to learn that thing new. So their return on investment was very low or maybe even in the negative. And so I think just thinking about this in terms of an investment of time and how much time it could take and what the, what the outcome is going to be for that. Like that just, I can see people thinking like, I know the thing that I know that I like, and that has a very definite, outcome and output and i'm going to stick to that because that way i don't risk losing some kind of benefit or access to something else that i already know is important to me i think that's an important part of that is like is what that outcome is right i think you know another thing too for me that i would think about this one would be that maybe they're just not interested in that thing maybe they know enough about that thing that they're just simply not interested in learning more new things about that thing. Good point. So, you know, for example, like I love history. I think history is really interesting, but there are some parts of history that I do not care about <laughs> and that I am tired of learning about. And I don't want to know more about it. Like, I think like World War II is interesting because I think there's a lot of, there's a lot to unpack there, but there are some parts of history where I'm like, I'm really not. I just, I know just enough to kind of be dangerous with it, but I don't really, I'm not interested in learning more about it. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Cool. All right. And I think we sort of touched on the idea that one one reason one might avoid learning new things is because there's not really a guaranteed positive outcome. So I feel like we've covered that sufficiently to move on to our very last one. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Why do people buy the expensive version of a thing 
when they know that there is a cheaper version of a thing that's just as good. So I'm thinking brand name versus generic. I'm thinking like store brand versus like major conglomerate brand. I'm thinking even going to a store where like you know that you could probably get that same thing if you went to a different store and you would pay less for it. But you're like, no, I have to get it at the Apple store to feel appreciation for this thing that I'm getting. Yeah. Definitely just yeah. threw Apple under the bus. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> Boom. Got him. Take that, whoever's in charge there now. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, part of it is maybe they get it immediately, right? Maybe the, the more expensive version is available right then and there versus the cheaper version, which is going to take a little bit longer to get. And I think that's something that, you know, when you talk about like instant gratification, people have a hard time waiting for their reinforcers, right? Yeah, we don't want to delay access to the things that we know we want if we can get them right away. I don't know if other people have this experience, but I will often, when I'm shopping for anything, really, I'll look for comparable prices online and if they're not substantially different if it's like well it's only a few dollars more in the store i'm probably going to get it in the store and then that way i have it right away it's immediately available to me yeah so yeah that makes sense yeah immediacy is definitely important now another thought here is that getting the cheaper version might feel unethical because from the person who's selling it or the location at which it's being sold and so just thinking about this in terms of I could like go to this third party retailer knowing that they probably stole this from somebody and are just like turning around a version of it and it is cheaper, but that's also like putting money into a system that I don't want to reward. Yeah. Oh, that's tough. Not too long ago, I had to buy a pair of sneakers because I was having to like start actually engaging in some like fitness activity. And I had only had a pair of Converse for mm. a very long time. So, which Converse are not very good for fitness. Yeah. If you were not aware. Also, I know there's ethical stuff around Converse and stuff. So, but I was trying to shop around for ethical sneakers. Like I didn't want to buy a pair of like Nike sneakers. I wanted to buy a pair of something a little bit more that had some good ethical standing in the company. So I was like seeking. Uh, so I ended up getting a cheaper version that was more ethical than the more expensive version that wasn't ethical. So that was kind of a win-win on that. There you go. Yeah. So, I mean, but the part of that that you go into is like, that takes a lot of effort and understanding research to do. Yeah. That's a good point. You know, people might buy a more expensive version because it's tough to research these companies and look at like what those ethical practices are and what that looks like. Yeah. Another one we've mentioned before for several of these is this is a status symbol again. You know, it just comes back to the fact that spending more on it means that it was accessible to a fewer number of people and you just happen to be one of those people. So I've actually thought about the idea that I'm like, I, I grow grapes in my garden. I could probably turn those grapes into like a single bottle of wine and be like, there's only one of these, you guys. So this thing is worth easily a few hundred thousand dollars because nobody else has this anywhere grown artisanally in the northern region of Nevada on a, <laughs> on a small local farm like, you know, Gus up all those words. And so it's a small batch. Exactly. And like, it's actually literally just waters and water and grapes that have rotted. And that's really all, all yeah. that's all wine is. And so, I, but, but, you know, I could turn around, bottle it nicely and put a nice label on it. And then say this is worth the cost of basically a house and somebody might buy it and then show it off as like, look how wealthy I am. I bought this one bottle. There's only one of them that exists in the whole world. That makes me so special. And not to criticize people who do get the things for status. Eh, whatever. We'll criticize them. But <laughs> that, that is a, <laughs> never mind. We're, we're criticizing straight up. You're ridiculous. Yeah. Quit, quit being like, yeah, quit being ridiculous. But yeah, that's the thing is like, I spent so much money on it. Therefore I have all the status like gold leaf lattes, like get out of here. Just drink a cup of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. You know, another reason too, that my pe that people might buy that more expensive version is because it makes them feel like they got a better quality version. And sometimes that's not the case. Like it sounds cool. You've got all this really great marketing. You've got people in commercials that, that are happy when they have this thing. But the truth is, is like, I, there are, there are cheaper versions of things that are made better than some of the more expensive versions of things. Yeah, absolutely. Another one, just to sort of move on for time here, is that there are sometimes the cheaper version won't have some little feature that the more expensive version does. I was actually just looking at some of those wireless chargers for your phone, and the the price range that exists is pretty amazing. And for some of them, it was like, well, this one will charge it one percent faster. I'm like, that's saving one percent of my time. That seems mm. like a good deal. I might, I might spend five more dollars on that thing. I might consider that. Yeah. And so it's like not really substantially different, but yeah, I think you might look at it and say like, that one only has 
that one has two fewer holes for the, the shoelaces than the than the one I want to get. That's twenty dollars more. So like I'm gonna get that. I'm gonna get the shoe that's twenty dollars more, so I can get those extra holes for shoelaces in it. And I'm obviously making stuff up right now. This, these aren't really things that necessarily occur, but just the example being this one that's that's less expensive might not have this one little tiny feature that the more expensive one does have. Yeah, for sure. And for the sake of time, the one thing I'll, I would touch on too is they might want to support a specific cause or a seller. So maybe it's like you buy it locally and then maybe it's more expensive. Like right now there's a guy right around the corner that's selling honey out of the back of his truck. And it's way more expensive to buy the honey, the local honey out of the back of his truck than it is to go to Publix down the road and get a little plastic bottle that's shaped like a bear that's full of honey. Yeah. But you you support maybe local and that's something like that, or you buy organic or there's some things like that that you might do that, that are more expensive. And so maybe you have some value attached to what, like why you're purchasing it that way. Getting yourself a little local honey. Mm-hmm. Getting a local honey. I'm trying to, I'm trying to keep myself from having those allergies. <laughs> All right, so some general themes that were very common throughout a lot of the things that we we mentioned in terms of why people do some of the things that seem like they are kind of stupid is that they don't know they don't know how to they don't know that they they there is a particular skill that they are lacking to do that thing or to do it well and so that's something that you'll commonly see in terms of why someone is doing something that may look like it's kind of a stupid thing to do is they don't know how to do it differently or uh you know in that moment we're reacting emotionally to that spot or that situation right so we're seeing this thing and we're kind of like over like not overreacting but we're already kind of making assumptions about that situation so we've got to kind of stop and take a moment to be like it's not what they're doing is not stupid what it is is that we are not taking the time to kind of try to unravel the context in which it's occurring and, and be able to take that perspective of like, this is what they're doing. And this is maybe a couple of reasons why. Yeah. And just sort of having that knee jerk re- response to something that happens. Another common theme throughout these is that people do things because it's easier or more convenient to do it that way. Even though it's not necessarily the safest or the least expensive or the smartest choice, it is the easiest and most convenient choice, and that can be a huge driver of making some of those decisions. Yeah. Another one, too, is to look good. We talked about status symbols a couple times. People like to avoid being wrong. People like to avoid asking for help. I know I personally have a hard time asking for help sometimes, so that's something that is within my skill repertoire. or It's a skill deficit of mine. So people just like to look good. That goes back to name brands and, and status symbols and all that. And then finally, there are people who might be overly confident in themselves, and it's this is going back to this idea that they don't know what they don't know. And this is related to the Dunning-Kruger effect episode that we did, which is, I think, a really good one. And so you should definitely go check it out if you haven't already. But yeah, this sort of overconfidence in what they think that they know about something. And so they proceed as if they know enough to generalize it to a novel situation that they're in when they don't, because they don't know that they don't. Yeah, exactly. So, or it could be a whole bunch of other stuff. Yes, tons of tons of other things. Those are just general themes. As I said, we were just sort of speculating, armchairing what was going on, but just as an exercise of thinking about what's going on for these people in these situations, because people generally do the best that they can in the situation that they're in. Yep, it's all about context. All right, cool. Well, let's quickly transition to some brief recommendations. Recommendations. <laughs> All right. And so um, I forgot to mention, we've been doing this for a few weeks now, and we're not sponsored in any way by any of these things that we've been recommending, although I wouldn't mind being <laughs> sponsored by them. So if you, if you want to, reach out to us, let us know. But the one I'm recommending is a TV show on Amazon Prime called The Boys which is sort of uh, apparently it's based on a graphic novel or comic book. I'm not sure, but it is essentially about like what would superheroes be like if they were real and how the power they'd have would probably corrupt them pretty much immediately. And I mean, that's a very loose way of putting it. There's actually a much more specific story going on inside of the context where they, some of these superheroes do things that result in severe damage and that there's a group of people who try and get back to back at them. And the group of people, they, called the boys i thought the show was just fantastic i loved every single part of it i thought there was not one wasted moment in that show so i would highly recommend if you're it is really bloody and gory though so if you're not into seeing violence and things of that nature then don't watch it but it is i loved it i thought it was great i've heard it's great i haven't i haven't had a chance to see it yet unfortunately so my recommendation is a a book called the brief history of the dead it's a current nonfiction that i'm reading 
And what's really cool is the story kind of takes place around this city of the dead. So what happens after you die, you travel into the, and live in the city and you basically exist in the city until all of the people who are living that remember you pass away and then you move on and nobody knows what happens after you move on from the city of the dead. Did you say fiction or nonfiction? Fiction. Oh, okay. That, if I said nonfiction, I hope it's not nonfiction. That would be really intense. <laughs> I was, I was thinking, I thought you said nonfiction and I heard you describe it and I was thinking, this doesn't sound real. <laughs> yeah. No, if it's uh if it's nonfiction, then uh, could you say that there was a ghostwriter? <laughs> ah, dad jokes. Yes. Dad jokes. That's my second recommendation is dad jokes. If you don't get a chance to <laughs> dig into dad jokes, live, live in that for a little bit. So what's cool is this place is called the city and the, and the people who live there are People who have passed away, they actually remember their experience of passing away. They remember their journey to the city. But there's one day where everybody in the city starts disappearing. And there's kind of like this viral outbreak and nobody really knows what's going on. So uh, part of it is exploring what's happening. And so it's it's really, it took a little bit to get into, but it is really interesting. It's an interesting take on kind of like the afterlife and what that looks like. So it's written by Kevin Brockmire. I've never read anything by him. This is my first book that I've ever read by him, but it's got some great recommendations or great reviews and it was published in 2006 so hmm. pretty cool cool premise i like i like the idea of what you just said so awesome all right well let's go ahead and then we do have a listener mail today so uh this listener mail comes from someone named amanda meady and she wrote in and because we accidentally had two episodes that were consecutive that aligned with some parts of her life so she wrote specifically quote I have recently started listening to your podcast within the last few months, and I'm still making my way through older episodes. But the most recent episode title caught my interest. My aunt was diagnosed with and died from CJD, or the Kretzfeld-Jakob disease, two years ago. It is rare to hear about CJD or prion diseases, so it was an interesting listen, even if I already knew most of what was discussed. After listening to that episode, the Phantom Limb episode played. Again, this was a topic close to me. My mother had her leg amputated, and I've taken her to multiple doctor's appointments when she complains of pain. Hearing her distinguish between phantom limb pain and what she calls real stump pain is an interesting distinction. Her doctors have actually downplayed her pain and said it's likely just phantom limb pain. Mostly, I'm reaching out to say I appreciate what you guys are doing, and I've found these recent topics especially interesting. I began listening as a recent certified BCBA, but I enjoy episodes that are off-topic for me professionally. Thank you. End quote. Oh, well, that was very kind. Thank you, Amanda. Yeah, thank you so much for the nice words. I do appreciate hearing from people who also, uh, well, congratulations on um, being a BCBA. And yeah, yeah I, do, I really enjoy people for uh, for whom they're sort of saying like, this is not really a thing that I know a lot about. And so it's kind of interesting. Although in these, this particular case, it was, you know, she had personal experience with it, which what a coincidence, you know, and I sort of wrote back and even said, like, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad that you were uh, found these episodes interesting. And what a coincidence we happened to do two back to back that were so relevant to you. So, yeah, I mean, we're sorry that those are relevant to you. Yeah, but we're glad that, you know, it, it, we're glad that it found like there was some interest in it, at least. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, thank you so much for writing in. If you would like to tell us about someone that you know who has some disease that we've covered on here, or if you have done something stupid and you'd like to explain why, or you'd like to add some reasons why some of the things that people do stupid things here, or maybe even say that they shouldn't, they just shouldn't do them because it's just stupid and they shouldn't. That's fine too. We like hearing from everybody. Reach out to us on social media. Of course, you can email us at info at podcast. You can find out more about this episode and all of our other episodes by going to our website, which is www.podcast.com. And then there are links and everything there in the show notes for some of the resources. Although this episode didn't use a lot of resources, but other episodes, there's a lot of resources and, and sometimes yeah. videos. If you'd like to support us, if you'd like to see what we look like as we have these discussions, we do record videos of our of our recording. And so you can watch those by becoming a Patreon member. You also get access to the episodes without us cutting anything. It's just the raw here we are making mistakes and doing crazy stuff and making dumb jokes that we end up yep. cutting because they're inappropriate. Yep. <laughs> and then we also record, um, for, for people at a certain level, we record an entirely separate bonus episode that's usually just us rambling about something. But you can always get access to those by joining us on Patreon. Do you have anything else to add there, Shane? No. Thank you for all. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for the reviews. We really appreciated it. Thank you for the feedback. And hopefully we continue to put out some good content coming into the next couple of years. All right. Perfect. And so just as a quick tease for those of you who are listening right now, our next episode coming out is going to have something to do with 
crazy Vikings who bite their shields. And yes. <laughs> so listen in for that one. And other than that, I think we're out. This is Abraham. And this is Shane. We are out. See ya. You've been listening to Why We Do What We Do. Why We Do What We Do is supported in part by our amazing patrons. Thank you. If you like what you heard, consider becoming a patron by heading to patreon.com slash podcast. You can also rate and review us wherever you get your podcast or share this episode with your friends. If you have any comments or questions, we'd love to hear from you. Find us at podcast on your favorite social media platforms. You can learn more about this and other episodes by going to www.podcast.com. There, you'll find links as well as detailed and shareable show notes. Why We Do What We Do is researched and produced by Abraham, Ryan O, Shane, and Miranda. Artwork and logo design by Andrew Pollock at nogdesigns.com. Video and production assistance from Tyler Brassier with music courtesy of Justin Greenhouse. Thanks for listening, and we hope you have an awesome day.